listening to the Over a Drink podcast, the podcast dedicated to normalizing normal men talking about normal things, putting purpose to pain, turning men into soldiers, and weaponizing testimonies. I'm Mitch Parsons, and I am your host. The Over a Drink podcast. Welcome. Uh, I welcome your ears to the Over a Drink podcast. Uh, wherever I join you, hopefully, uh, let's see, this one's probably going to be a month from now. It'll be March, and so uh, praying to God that there's no snow. There's currently a decent amount of snow on the ground. I hate the snow. Uh, I'm moving to uh, literally anywhere that there's not snow. I don't care, except for Florida because there's bugs and alligators and snakes and people from Florida. So all that to say, um, welcome to the Overdrink Podcast. This is probably going to be um, might be the last one that is audio only. I am planning on i'm doing some branding changing i'm doing some uh english learning uh and learning how to speak properly but i uh i'm gonna be having a visual uh aspect i'm building a semi-permanent set in my office to have conversations in front of um or on at using um but i have a cool guest here today he is a a mentor of mine, a good friend of mine. Uh, he is one of the smarter people that I know. Uh, if you need a house bought, guaranteed he will find you a house. Um, he plays a mean electric guitar. Uh, he, I'll, I'm going to stop because I'm going to let him, I'm going to put him on the spot, which he's going to hate. But hey, Will. <laughs> Mitch. Wow. Thanks. Thanks yeah. for that. Um, Glad to be here. Looking forward to talking for a little bit. Just yeah, just for a little bit because um, you got houses to sell. Um, so you have f- forty-five seconds to a minute to elevator pitch me of who you are. Uh, I, when I get off the elevator, I want to just I'll say, "Hey, I know Will Davis." Okay, I'm going to see if I can do that in forty-five seconds to a minute. So. Born in Austin, Texas, I'm Will Davis III. There was a Will Davis Sr. There was a Will Davis Jr. Will Davis Jr. started a non-denom church in 1993. So I was a pastor's kid. Wow. And, uh, PK. PK. And then went to, um, so did my whole life in Austin, went to Baylor, which is in Waco, hour and a half north. And um, a couple years later, moved up to Denver, just kind of wanting to try my own thing out. And... Um, I've been here for 10 years. Uh, most of my career was in ministry and nonprofits and things like that. And in 2016, I kind of, in a roundabout way, ended up in residential real estate, which is where I am now. And got, you know, during that time was um, involved with Red Rocks Church as well, which is how Mitch and I met. And um, yeah, so that was probably a lot less than 45 seconds to a minute. But um, <laughs> I really, yeah, so I love playing guitar. I don't play as much anymore. Um, and the biggest thing I love about Colorado is just the climate. And I grew up wanting to be a climber and I moved here and got to be a climber. That's awesome. Yeah. And you're married, married and eight and a half years, two kids. Yep. Two, a three-year-old and one-year-old, two boys. And Lord willing, we'd like to have two more perhaps boys. Oh, I at this point I don't care. Could you imagine four boys? I think it'd be poor really fun. Amy. Yeah, she... well, she'd be down for it. Like two more boys would be great, or two girls, or one boy, one girl, whatever. And who knows? Maybe, perhaps we won't have any more, but we're gonna certainly try. And you have a dog. Yep, he's great. 
yeah, five-year-old golden doodle. He's he's amazing. Well, you have a you have a full house already, and you're going to have a fuller house. Um, goodness, uh, that's awesome. Thank you. So, um, the thing that I've kind of prided this uh, prided in this I don't know how this words are really hard, y'all. Holy cow! I did not sleep a lot last night. Uh, I've one thing I'm proud of with this podcast is that it's very holy spirit driven uh people ask and they say hey uh what can, should i bring like a script or like and there's like the hardest no like <laughs> like how like what are we gonna talk about and it's like i don't know yeah like uh whatever the holy spirit puts on our hearts uh and wherever it gets led to is where we're going because someone needs to hear that this podcast is for the one um who needs to hear it. And so, uh, I kind of was like, it would be cool. I look up to you as a father. You're not my father. I look up to you as how you are as a father. Um, you helped me a lot through pregnancy when my wife was pregnant and into like the first couple weeks of, um, being a dad and so i'd kind of in was like hey we could we should go talk i think we were having a conversation about um how genuinely in this and this this right here will literally be a shocking thing to some people but like i didn't like my daughter for the first couple of weeks um i loved her but i did not like her um she was annoying to me she all she was cry she kept my sleep she took my free time and i talked with you and you were like dude Lots of dads feel that way. Um, and I it blew my mind because I was like, I'm not the only one who isn't having this Instagram moment with my kids all the time. Um, so I would love to maybe talk about that, but that's like the extent of it. Like what is, what has, when you were coming in here today, um, what was on put on your heart mm. to like to talk about? Um, to put I, you on the spot. You know, and when I was driving... Um, over here in the snow, uh, maybe driving slightly too fast now that I think about it, but (laughs) I just prayed. I said, I don't, God, I don't know what you want to talk about, but you know, use it however you will. And I kind of, I kind of, I mean, I tried Mitch to talk to, you know, three times or so to talk you out of this because (laughs) I feel like, man, if he knew, you know, (laughs) what I've got going on, this would not, you know, I just don't, I, I feel like I'm a broken guy that God has blessed in a huge way. And, um, there's a lot of things I'm working on and I want to change and I want to do better and I want to be better. Um, and so I said, okay, God, whatever, you know, we're doing this deal. So I'll show up and you know, you do with it what you want. Well, you came up to me three times. You're like, I'm not even that good of a dad. I don't know if I have anything to talk about. And I'm like, like if I wasn't standing in a church, I would have like middle finger, double middle fingered you. <laughs> um, but like, I want to, I think then, okay, so you didn't give me much will. So I'll go with it. I'll run. Here we go. Um, we were talking just now about, uh, how we're sitting down in my basement, uh, with the door shut, but my house is not, super new there's an older house and upstairs we can hear my 11 week old just giving it to my wife screaming like i can picture it face red like it's like that level scream and my instant reaction was like i need to go help her um 
and you related to that because your office is also in your basement. Um, how has, not in your basement, it's, you needed to get an office because you couldn't work. That's what it was. Um, how, how has that been as far as Amy stays home and you work full time and you have two kids and she's doing the groceries and walking the dog. And, um, how have you, how has that tension been of balancing, um, being a dad, but also being the breadwinner? Well, um, you know, Amy and I, they're, you know, when we did premarital, you know, they have you take this survey and you fill it out and you talk about this and that. And they're really looking for where you guys compatible and what might be conflict areas. Amy and I were kind of blessed in that <clears throat> there's there's plenty that maybe we would like to work on or, or that we don't necessarily 100% agree on. But we, I mean, very early on, we both identified that our ideal would be if I was working and if she was staying home and spending um, her days working on, with our family and on our home. And, um, and so early, you know, early on, you know, she and I both had jobs, but when, you know, our first child came along, she was able to, you know, to just to, to be a mom at home. And, um, so, we, we, we didn't really like know how it was going to play out or we just kind of, you know, walked into it and then we figured out as we go along. But, um, so yeah, I think that communication was, you know, I don't know that Amy and I would say we're experts at communication. That might be an area that maybe we say we've struggled for eight and a half years. That's maybe a weak point actually. And so it's not always easy for us to communicate about like small things like, Hey, yeah. where should we go to lunch? Much less like, you know, what is the dynamic of a husband and a wife that do this and do that? And what's the, so, you know, I think, um, you know, earlier on in real estate, I did work from, you know, we have a bedroom downstairs and that was kind of my office. Um, and so it's, it's interesting because I think one of the first thoughts I had is that I definitely felt like, okay, it's my job to provide for my family and that's what I want to do. And, um, I think as men, we get wrapped up in like, okay, I think we just all focus on, the financial aspect of it and like working to provide. And to some degree you feel like as a guy, I think you feel like your career matters and you want to make a difference and move the needle. And at some point I had the thought just like, wow, it kind of seems like we're overemphasizing that a little bit because whatever I do from eight to five, you know, I'm, I'm hopefully I'm serving other people, but it just doesn't matter nearly as much as getting it right with my family. And so then I started thinking about all the energy I put into business and, helping others and that is I think that's good and I think that's God honoring but it's like man do you spend a fraction of that time thinking about how to take your you know your family and your wife have you read any parenting books you know you've hmm. read a million books about all these other things real estate and business whatever else like have you read any marriage books recently you know hmm. and then I, th I thought about times where I've been really creative in business and had a great outcome for somebody or just any kind of success and I thought, man, have you spent 10% of that problem solving ability or that creative ability on your wife? And cause here's the deal you're saying, you know, and so if I'm looking at myself going, okay, here's some areas I'd like to do better for Amy, or I'd like to, you know, to like work on our marriage. Okay. That's great. Have you, how much energy have I put into that compared to, and so it kind of led to this whole bigger thought process of, okay, well, 
it kind of seems like we're all a little out of balance. Like this whole idea, like you sleep eight hours. I mean, Mitch, you don't sleep eight hours. You sleep probably about three on average. <laughs> and that's just cause you choose to, that's just, <laughs> you like, that's just how you operate. I like to wake up early you and like my wife likes to stay up late. No, my wife likes to stay up late. So, you know, we, we sleep eight hours a day or whatever you work, you know, eight or seven to nine hours, whatever it is. Okay. And so you still have, you have some margin time there. And I just thought, man, if, if, if I really believe that like my biggest, so if I really believed that my biggest purpose and assignment here on earth from God outside of my relationship with him is to get my, you know, get my wife right and get my kids right. You know, the father and the husband there, why, you know, why don't I spend more time and energy on that? And like, Mm -hmm. I think the whole culture is kind of set up to just like, if you just step back and look at, you know, American culture, just what you see, it's just that like everybody kind of seems like people give their best to work. You know what I mean? I think, and so it's like, and yeah, so maybe you're home a little bit in the morning, you're home a little bit at night and you know, it's like you're there, but like, you're tired or whatever else, you know? So it's like, why, why is the system not set up to where we give, you know, God our best and then our family our best and then work? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So I don't necessarily know that that's right or wrong. I just, it just was like, okay, if I'm going to be intentional with my life, which is something I want to do and I try to do, why don't I set it up to where, you know, um, it it doesn't need to look like everybody else necessarily. And what would I, I guess it just opened this, like, what would I do different? Hmm. I love that because it's speaking literally Holy Spirit exactly to what I'm walking through a little bit right now. Um, A, so often in the last 13 weeks, uh, Jess and I have laid down or put the baby down. And then it's like, do you want to hang out? And it's like, yeah, but I'm so tired. Like, why don't we just go to bed? And that's not necessarily from, I mean, it is from having a baby, but like, we are working and doing everything else and not investing in our marriage because sleep. (laughs) Um, but like, even like, I'm actually proud of myself for this moment, but, um, I, I'm building something right now. Um, I'm trying to, uh, a a passion that I, something I'm, something I'm passionate about. I'm building a, a business. Um, and I worked on it yesterday from when I got done working with my actual job, until literally two in the morning. Uh, and then I woke up this morning at six cause I don't know why. And I couldn't turn my brain off of what I was working on. I'm like, I want to get up and go and start working on it again. Um, before I have to start my actual work day. Um, but like every, like, even though every ounce of my being was like, go work, go work, go work. I was like, I'm not starting work until nine. I'm going to hang out with my baby when she wakes up, I'm going to hang out with my wife. We're going to go to breakfast all before nine o'clock. And even though I wasn't doing and like moving the needle, as you would like, as you said, like it was, I had like, I am practicing putting in boundaries now because you said something at lunch today. Like if you make a whole bunch of money, if someone makes a whole bunch of money, they're the same person when they had money as to when they didn't. Um, unless the process to getting that money changed them. Um, and I want so badly, like I'm optimistic. Let's say that this company does a really cool thing and it blows up. I don't want to be the guy who wakes up at six and works until 
2 a.m. And then when did I spend any time with my wife? Um, which I think is an interesting little bit of a segue. We're going to transition a little bit. Thank you for, I mean, that's such a good thought of like what takes priority in our life of. Well, so, yeah. So it's like, you know, you know, we were talking about the ruthless elimination of hurry right here on your shelf. And the whole idea is that like, I do think the devil wants to distract us. And Mm so it's just easy for us as men to just want to work like for what, if it's because we want to provide what else, but I was talking to a, a good friend who just bought a house recently and, we were talking um, about, actually, yeah, we were at lunch and we were, um, and we were just talking about this kind of same thing—the balance of being with your family and working. And he and I were talking about how we we feel like sometimes there's an appeal to like you know um, a promotion or earning more or more responsibility or um, crushing it at work because we're almost kind of like there's almost this thing in us maybe as guys where we just really want to we kind of want to have an adventure or experience some risk or some danger, or we want to get out there and we're in this age of where everything is knowledge work. Now we mm-hmm. all sit down and we, and that's, you know, at a computer and we work, you know, and it wasn't always like that over you know the course of human history. They were using their hands and their feet and their bodies and their backs. And so for us, we kind of want to get out there and, um, do yeah. something. Yeah. And so, and I think like for us, it feels like the easiest, we want to crush it. We all want to go crush it. And the easiest way to to fulfill that, it feels like today, is in work. And, you know, so maybe when you're with your family, you can recognize that it's a really important thing, but you don't always feel like, I'm crushing it or I'm doing it or this is yeah. an adventure, exciting. You know, you're, yeah. when you're sitting on the floor playing. I mean, those are some of the best moments, you know, the most joy I've ever experienced is sitting down with my kids, but you don't feel like you're living on the edge and yeah. running around with your hair on fire. And I think maybe there's a desire to do that. Yeah. And we chase that at the expense of other At the things. expense of other things. Like, um, I miss mowing lawns. Like I don't have a <laughs> living lawn. Living on the edge. <laughs> living on the edge. But truly like I miss like, like as silly as that sounds, like I miss having to mow my yard. Like I don't have a yard right now. We live in a townhouse. And so, or I miss like shoveling snow the guys are like in high school i used to go out with one of my buddies and his dad's crew at two in the morning and shovel for and i'm like it sucked then but now i'm like i miss coming home tired and cold and like there's something in us that wants where it's like i literally probably made 40 bucks no that tonight but like that was fun and that was okay so there's also this you know so one of the things i really enjoy is running which turned into trail running which turned into like you know, longer distance races and stuff. And by like longer, and you mean 40 miles. And so there's, so there's this, yes, you know, that's, that's honestly, that's actually very humble in the ultra running community. You know, hundreds kind of the gold standard, but 40 yards is a lot for me. So, but here's the deal. There's been this huge, huge uptick in, you know, the last decade for people out there doing ultra marathons and people doing stuff like Ironmans. And I think it's because, people are trying to express this thing inside of whatever it is we're talking about. And we don't have to go hunt for our food anymore. (laughs) And we're not at, you know, it's not like we're living a thousand years ago and the the people that live two miles away could come ransack our village and try and kill us all. Right. We're not living in a time like that, you know? And so, but there's still this thing inside of us that wants to, anyways, I don't know. No, I think that that is, I mean, it's real. I, I, it's funny. Uh, because I think this is dissatisfaction. Maybe it's a, I'm, I'm, I wrestle with the line between dissatisfaction and content. So like, or like, uh, are you content or are you 
being like lazy almost like I'm I'm like I might should I be going like I'm very comfortable where we are um my, my wife and I are doing fine but I want more and like the competitive aspect of me is like oh more go get more be better do this like always trying to lift more weight trying to run faster I had eight touchdowns last year I went nine this year like whatever like boom but whatever um but is that striving versus is that like how you know what I mean like walking that line of going like because there is adventure in like whoops I created an LLC and I built a website and like I took a bet on myself and I bought a laptop on a credit card that I I don't I shouldn't have (laughs) um but I believe that truly if I told my wife, I was like, if I, I'm creating a digital marketing agency, if I, if I work with one person, it pays off my laptop and I believe that I can get one person, but that is a risk that I'm taking that like kind of got me going a little bit. Like, Ooh, like that's like, I like stood in the line at Costco as I was checking out and I was like, Ooh, this is going to scare the crap out of me. I hate having any kind of debt. And here I am with all, as I talked to the guy who advises me on my finances, he's making notes and he's gonna be like, we're going to talk about this later. Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when you talked about getting rid of all your credit card debt? Well, you just added some to it. Um, but which I want to talk about, we have, I mean, we have plenty of time now, but um, yeah, I wonder, uh, I, that's just something I, I, I wrestle with a lot is like, how come I can't be content right where I'm at? But like, am I being content or am I being complacent? I think it's, I think it's both. I think, so, I think there's a piece of us, you know, inherently we're fallen, we're broken. Yeah. And we, you know, there's just kind of this discontent. Well, I don't know if it's discontentment. It's just, you know, we want more and maybe there's like a broken motive behind that. You know, some, we're in a fallen, broken world. Yeah. But I don't think it's all that. And I think a big piece of it a lot of times is just that, you know, I think it's, I think that growth is exciting and I think we're supposed to grow. I think it's biblical. I think we're supposed to grow. We want to grow and there's been seeds planted inside of us that we can kind of feel are there, but we don't really know where they are, but we just have a gut instinct. Oh, I need, I want to do this. You want to be more than you were yesterday. And I think that if you're healthy, you're growing. And I think that if you're growing, you know, you can serve more people and, um, Mm. So, you know, I think that, and I think that honors God, you know, I think that the more we grow, the more we grow with him, the, the more of more, the more service we can be. And, um, I don't remember where it might've been you that told me this. Um, no, it wasn't. It was, it, if it's <laughs> smart, I for sure, it was for sure me, but if it wasn't, I probably didn't tell you. That. Yeah, no, I actually, I remember <laughs> who it was. It was, so the church we go to the, the sermon, you know, he, there, the person giving the sermon this week quoted, um, you know, someone that's been at the church for a long time. And this gentleman was saying, you know, one of the best mindset shifts that a Christian can have goes from, um, Lord, can you help me? And it changes into, Lord, how can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I Mm -hmm. be more service? And I think growth is what it takes to do that and fulfill that. And so when you're saying, I want more, I want, you know, this or that, like some of that is growth driven. And I think that's a good thing. It turns out that the pathway to growth, which is really, you know, this excitement and adventure thing, I think it's growth. I think the the penultimate experience for penultimate was the wrong word. The ultimate experience for, for growth that manifests, that kind of fills that adventure excitement, um, 
space that we want is, is, is pursuing growth. But the pathway to that is, um, it turns out the ticket to admission for all that stuff is pain and failure. Mm. <laughs> you know, like all the most successful guys in the world will talk ad nauseum about how failure was what, you know, experiencing failure, failure and sometimes regularly was what got them where they were. And, you know, you, you go win a football game and it's all great. You lose a football game, you learn a whole lot more. And you take more from that than any win you ever had. Yeah. And so if you're, if you're here saying, I want to grow and I want to be successful and I want to be of more service, you're signing up for pain, which is growth and failure. So like our one-year-old right now is having growth spurts. And I just, I had to remember that like when kids have growth spurts, it's actually kind of painful. And I do remember being seven, eight years old and feeling my legs and they were just kind of achy all the time. So that's growth, but that's a good thing. You want to grow, but it, but you know, we just have to, especially in today's world, all people want to do is talk about how, you know, how successful they are. And they post it all over social media and here's how much I make and here's how much I sold my business for and this and that. And a lot of it's smoke and mirrors, honestly. But, um, you would look at that and think these guys have never had a bad day in their life. And it was so easy and it was overnight. And there's more people out there today that are not real than, than there are real. But the, the, the ones that are really out there doing it would talk a lot about pain and failure. Hmm. It's like what you were saying, uh, so, so I at lunch I told Will I was like well I don't know how to do it I want to live in Denver I just want a podcast I want to pay off my friend's student loans because I was like I just want to be rich so that I can pay I don't even want it I, I don't care my house I like my house I like my cars I just I want to help my friends buy a house and I want and I'm like but I also just want to sit in podcasts and be creative for my whole life I don't want to have to work for it um and you made a, a comment about like, yeah, but if you were given a million dollars right now, it wouldn't be as rewarding as if you were to have earned it. And if you lost that a million dollars, you would know how to make it again because, because you made it the you first time. Changed. You fundamentally changed, and yeah. you carry that with you forever, even if you lose the million. If you don't change and you just get a million and you lose a million, you're right back where you started, which is what most people do with money. <laughs> yeah. Will is a, a very financially inept, inept is the right word, right? Uh, inept, like, uh, is inept bad or good? I feel like inept is, apt, aptitude is, he has a high aptitude for money. There we go. <laughs> In the same way that I have, guys, I haven't read recently, as you can tell. Holy cow. Our words are like. I read my daughter's books to her and that's about the extent of my vocabulary. Um, but how have, how has that part of life, um, because you have done a lot of growing. Um, I remember you sat and you, you asked me how old I was one time and you're like, when I was your age, I literally was working as a rock, uh, uh, an obstacle course. I was, I think you were single working at an obstacle course and you're like, why are you frustrated with where you're at? Um, and in my mind, it's like, well, you mentioned it, the smoke and mirrors. I'm like, well, I see people my age who are doing more and I want to be doing more. Um, I'm competitive and I see myself as like, and this might be arrogant, but I'm like, I know that I'm smart and I know that person, that person's an idiot. 
and that sounds really bad. I'm a jerk. You believe in yourself. I believe you in myself. There's more. And he's doing all that, and yeah. I feel like, why am I not? Do it, which is a good thing about that, right? If he can do it, I can do it. And there is something to that of, okay, you know, my buddy over here was doing this. Okay, so I could probably do this, you know. That's a healthy piece of it. How has... Also, I feel bad for calling that imaginary person an idiot. If you're hearing this, you're not an idiot. You don't even know who you are. Um, but I, how has that been? What? Could, I know what I want to ask, but I don't know how to phrase it. Um, going from that to where you are now, uh, what were some of the, because you said you, you can tangibly look back and be like, oh, that's why he did that there. And that's why God did that there. And that's, now I'm here. And that's mm-hmm. because of this. Um, could you highlight some of those moments in regards to finances, mm-hmm. finances, uh, responsibility. I think, uh, the, I think God gives people as much as they can carry. He would never give you more than you can. And so your shoulders would become broader. Um, do you yeah. agree with that? That yeah, he'll never give? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think God wants us to grow, but here's the deal. I think God wants us to grow, but I don't think he's ever going to make us grow. If we want to plateau, which I believe is what most people do in life, he'll let you. Because he doesn't need us to accomplish his purposes. Like, he will use us to the degree that we want to be used, I think. Mm-hmm. And his his plan is going to... I was talking with a good friend the other day. We were just talking about this idea of, like, look, God's going to give us options, but God kind of wants us to, to want to grow, and God wants us to take a step in faith, you know? And if God gives us an order and says, go here and you do it, you, number one, you didn't really, you know you didn't take any ownership of it. Hmm. Maybe you were obedient, which is good, but you didn't take any ownership of it. And so if it doesn't go well, you can say, Oh, well, God, I did what you wanted me to do. And here it is. And I think if God puts things inside of you, he wants you to, you know, when you talk about having kids, like you want this in your own kids, you want to teach them, you want to see them run with it. So to, to go back to what you're asking about, you know, moments looking back going, okay, what was God doing? Especially in regards to finances. The first thing that comes to mind, so, so, you know, Grew up, you know, a pastor's, pastor's kid. kid, two, two, and you've probably heard most of this, Mitch, but like, yeah, two sisters. And, um, I never, you know, I, looking back, like I know now that, um, we, you know, I don't think people get into ministry to like try to rake in millions. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So churches don't always, you know, necessarily pay huge amounts of money, but so my dad started a church, right. And, and, um, I, I always felt like we were well taken care of and we were, Looking back, you know, I know, okay, like, I'm trying to do the math on, okay, you know, what what was my, you know, what were my parents probably bringing in, you know, my, what was my dad bringing in in the 90s, you know, with three kids in Austin, Texas. And, you know, they did a great job because we always were taken care of. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't say that I grew up necessarily being interested in money or knowing how to use it. And so the first kind of real experience I had with money, I think, was when I was like 25 or 26, I was, I had, um, I, I had moved to Denver and then moved back. And I actually was working as an EMT at the time. And my parents were kind enough to let me live with them for about, I guess it was eight months or so or five months. I can't remember. Um, so I moved back to Austin to basically date my wife who was a senior in college and she was finishing up at UT. And so I was working up in the cradle. Robin the Cradle, yeah. <laughs> and um, we were, and so I was working as an EMT, and so I worked, you know, three night shifts, 5 p.m. to 5 a.m., Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 
Saturday morning at like 6 a.m., I'd get off, go home, shower, and then go to church and lead two worship services and um, and then try to get back on a normal schedule. I'd work Monday on a day shift, work Tuesday on a day shift, and then Wednesday I wouldn't work, but I would go to church that night and do midweek practice. And so I, w- I was trying to save up for a ring. Hmm. And so I saved up, saved up. My par- I wasn't paying rent because my parents let me live with them. Very gracious. Finally had enough to buy this ring. Dumped everything I had into this ring. And um, the previous year, I had had a job as 1099 contractor. And I did not know. I didn't understand taxes and didn't understand that they didn't take taxes out. Mm-hmm. And so I waited until April 15th, like I always do, to pay taxes. And, you know, I was on H&R Block or you know, whatever it was. And, and it came back that I basically owed like $6,000 or something. And I spent every last penny on a ring. I had nothing. I maybe had a hundred dollars in income. And then, so I ran it twice. I ran it through TurboTax too. And both of them were telling me, yeah, you owe a lot of money. And I was like, this is bad. So I just did, I didn't know what to do. So I called uncle Jim. And so uncle Jim at the time worked at Merrill Lynch. He's since retired. And you know, he, I just kind of felt like he might be the right guy to ask. And so he's like, okay, what'd you make? What'd you do this? What'd you do this? Tell me, tell me. And so like four minutes on the phone, he was like, yep, I think, uh, I think you, I think you owe the government $6,000. I don't know what's going to happen if I don't pay them. You know, I'm like scared they're going to show up and take me to jail. He's like, well, you're going to owe a lot of penalties and they're going to take debt. And I said, well, I said, well, what am I supposed to do? And at this point I'm kind of starting to panic. I can feel it in my chest and over the phone, he goes, well, luckily for you, the bank of Uncle Jim is always open. <laughs> and I said, I said, no, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't accept your help. He goes, you don't have a choice. He's like, your taxes are due today. He's like, come down to my office and, you know, and I'll meet you. And so I just hung up like defeated. And so I drove down to his office, which is this awesome building, you know, in Austin and, I walk in, there's this massive saltwater aquarium and all these fish, <laughs> and I get in the elevator and go up to the elevator, and I walk up to the office, and he comes out, and I'm starting to, I kind of have a tear in my eye. I'm starting to cry because I just feel so, like, the the feeling was, how are you ever going to provide for somebody else if you can't even do your stupid taxes? Hmm. And if you have this much, you know, you made this big of a mistake, and you're going to go ask her dad, you know, if you can marry her and you can't even get this right. You know, there's just this total shame and crushing weight. And so he walked me to the elevator, he put his arm around me, pushed the button to go back down. And he, um, he said, how much do you owe? And I said, it was something like $6,600. And so he wrote the check and he looked at me and put both hands on my shoulders. And he said, Hey, you're a young man. Don't let this get to you. You're going to be just fine. Hmm. And he handed me the check and said, you know, you got 10 years to pay me back. (laughs) And, um, and I walked out and he bailed me out big time. Yeah. And so I paid my debts to the government. And then a couple months later, I, I went back to Denver and I, I went back to the jobs I already had. So I was able to make a whole lot more money much quickly, much more quickly. And in a couple months I had everything I needed to pay Uncle Jim back. So I called him, Hey, I've got you. I'm so happy. Here we go. I'm going to pay you back. And he said, you know what? He said, at the time, my cousin Kate was about to get married. He said, you know what? Use, use some of those proceeds to fly down here for Kate's wedding. Keep the rest. I don't need it. And that impre- that experience had such a massive impact on me, like massive, mm. massive, massive, massive impact because a couple things happened. One, I was just moved by his generosity, and I thought, man, I want to be able to do that for people and bail them out when they really need it. Number two, I said, this is never, ever going to happen again. Nothing like this. I'm never going to get burned by money ever again. It's just mm. not going to happen. And so I started 
trying to learn about taxes because that's what, and then I started trying to learn about income and I tried to learn about all these different things. And I started realizing, wow, this stuff's insanely important and no one teaches you about any of this. And this can like alter and change your life if you get this stuff wrong. Nobody talks about it. So I started learning, learning, learning. And, you know, years later now, I'm, I'm very kind of passionate about it. I really enjoy talking to people about their finances and, and all this other stuff. And so I, I, I think part of that too is I never really thought, I certainly never thought I'd be in residential real estate. Okay. <laughs> I just, just not on the radar, just not, would have never been interested in that. I kind of thought I was going to be a pastor. I was going to make a pastor's salary and live humbly for my whole life. And, um, and so, you know, looking back now, I just, I kind of, that, that's just one example of going, okay, you know, um, it turns out I'm really, I think that I haven't, right now what I do, you know, is people are buying a house. This is the biggest financial purchase or sale of their, you know, of their lives. And it's a huge piece of their net worth. And so money's a huge part of residential real estate. And so we're talking about money a lot. We're talking about what's really, and I, I like, I like that piece of it. I'm passionate about it. Yeah. And you're really good at it. Uh, you have advised me through many things. I think that that story really is cool. It actually, it's, uh, it just speaks to, um, my, maybe it's, maybe it's naivety, like my naivety or just, uh, ignorance or just blind faith in God. <laughs> but we, I knew about this 1099 rule, uh, and we were saving for a house and, uh, you were our realtor and you pulled this stunt of getting us a house. Um, and it was actually really cool cause you were like, okay, so we had found this house that we loved and, um, we probably were close to our down payment being there that what we needed, but like weren't there for sure weren't there and but we loved the house and like jess and i had been praying like we had an offer that you and i and jess had like this is our this is we're not going above this and this is like where we are if it gets accepted it's god like we keep throwing the same offer at the wall um and if it sticks and then then it sticks and you told the people that were selling the house hey um this is the offer, uh, and it is this way, and, and you have six hours, and when that happens, uh, if six hours passes, then the offer is now this, um, which in the Denver market should not have worked. Like, people, the, the houses are going for $150,000 over with cash, waiving contingencies, and Will's over here just big D in people and being like, yeah, this, is, this is what's going to happen. He gives me a call. I'm sitting at the dog park, and he goes, "Sorry, bad news." And I, we had been told no a dozen times at that point. And I was like, "Yes, I'm not gonna be able to hang out with you anymore because they accepted your offer," which immediately was amazing. But also, I was like, "Well, I have a gap between what I owe the bank or what I owe to close and what's in my bank, and that I have allocated for this." And so, I just took my commission taxes, my 1099 tax set aside and it was like I'll just worry about that later and then tax season came and I had to worry about it later but maybe that's the growth that you're referring to because you today would not have done that because you had already experienced owing the government money um and all that to say 
I don't even know where I was going with that, but like, I think it's really cool that today you are in such a different financial spot, but you have the groundwork that's laid to be able to handle it um, through pain and through uh, humility. Like it is, this podcast is about shame um, or not. A, it's actually changing. I'm gonna take a second. It's actually changing to. I think vulnerability and being because vulnerability takes vulnerability to talk about shame, but it also just takes vulnerability to talk about hard things. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be shameful for me to be like, I, I don't even, I can't even think of like, it could just be like, Hey, my wife and I are fighting about this. There's nothing shameful about fighting. Like that's marriage. It happens. Um, but, um, I think the podcast is shifting more. There's going to be more uh, conversations with my wife. Uh, there's going to be more conversations with couples where it's like, hey, how as a man, how are you vulnerable in different circumstances? Um, and maybe shame is part of it, um, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, and I think uh, there is, I would imagine, some shame going to your uncle and being like, I effed up. <laughs> like, I, but it wasn't even intentional. Like you just, it was in ignorance. You didn't know, which shame on whoever has, didn't tell you that, that literally the person that hired you should be like, Hey, also, um, but apparently that didn't work like that. Sorry. Your thoughts as I, as I just ramble forever. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I mean, I think I, I love that idea about vulnerability for sure. Um, and I think that's something we could talk we as guys should talk a lot more about. I don't know that. I don't know that a lot of us feel like it's okay to be vulnerable, and and yeah. maybe if we do, we don't even really know how to be vulnerable. You know, that's been an issue for us in our marriage. Is I kind of just early in life shut off my emotions because I thought that's what I was supposed to do, and you know, it turns out that's not terribly productive for a marriage mm-hmm. or terribly helpful. You know, and yeah, God, you know, gave husband and wife each their own set of needs, and they're supposed to fill each other's needs and think one of the needs for women is to feel emotionally connected and, and just to see that you can be vulnerable at certain times. Um, so that would be a very interesting direction for the podcast to go. Yeah. I think, I think it's funny that you say like women need, I'm very selfish <laughs> and I choose pick and choose when I want to be vulnerable with Jess. Where like there's times where I don't shut up and I'm like this is how I feel and listen to all my feelings and then there's other times when she'll and it's no fault of her own because the last time we talked I was like oh yeah vulnerable open book and then there's she's like oh say what's up I'm like I don't want to talk about it and now you're making me angry by keep asking me about it like just let it be I don't want to talk about it and so I think that like you're saying it's it's it takes work a little like it's something that could use work um, as men. or just as humans in general to be like, it's something that's so scary because if you're vulnerable in like a war or a fighting aspect leaves you vulnerable or susceptible to pain, to death, to loss. Um, if I tell you, Hey, me and my wife got in a fight this morning. We didn't praise God. Um, (laughs) but we got in a fight this morning. I am susceptible to your, perception of me being less than what I would like it to be when in reality you probably got in a fight with your wife in the last couple of days over something silly um and so and it doesn't 
it doesn't separate us. It actually brings us closer because we have a level of camaraderie in the fact that we are fight with our wives like normal humans. But that's not realized unless it is spoken about, which the enemy doesn't want us to do because isolation. He like he he we talked about it today. No, that was not you. That was Jess. Um, to divide and conquer. Like the last thing that the enemy wants us to do is to talk to each other. He wants us to be alone. He wants us to be alone because that's how we and then he can whisper. And there's no one to be able to hold you accountable to the whispers and the whispers can go way down. The whispers can go from, I didn't pay my taxes to you can't provide for your family. You're not going to be a good husband. You're not going to be a good father. You might as well just not. (laughs) Yeah. That's a really great point. It can really spiral quickly. And it, all it took was one person to be like, Hey, you're young. This doesn't define you. Mm Mm-hmm. But the enemy doesn't want that. The enemy wants you to, to sit in shame and be like, I'll listen to whatever you say. Like, and that's what I want to combat is like, you know, many times, and I would love, they will be, um, Amy will come on with, I, <laughs> she, I mentioned, I mentioned, mentioned it to her and she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like a week later she goes, Mitch, I'm gonna be honest with you. The only reason that I would, would ever do this is because I love you and Jess so much. That makes me <laughs> so anxious. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, okay, well you don't have to, but I, I she, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pull the, you love us card. Yeah. Um, because she's got some stuff in her to talk about, but I'm excited to sit with other couples and be like, one of my favorite things to ask younger couples, younger than us, we're at three years is what's the thing that you guys have fought the most about in the first year that just doesn't matter? Like Jess and I fought about the direction of the clothes in the, uh, how they're hung in the closet. We legitimately would get in like yelling at each other fights cause I wouldn't do it the right way. And then she's tired of me not doing it the right way. And Hallie, uh, her husband, Isaac, uh, was on, well, it was today. It was when it was released, but I told her that I love her husband more than she does. And she goes, at this point, if he doesn't put the laundry away, right, then yes, you do love him more than me. But like, I'm excited for like those conversations of like, this is normal in marriage to to fight about the dishwasher or silly things um, or real things. Cause that opens up the door for actual real conversation that needs to be had so that you don't feel like you can't be a good dad. So you don't feel alone. So you don't feel alone. Because, man, that is something that is so real. Even when you're with, like, Jess and I have felt on an island in the last 13 weeks. Not that we haven't had amazing support, but, like, we also don't want to ask you for help. Even though there was one point we were literally sitting on the kitchen floor a week ago, both of us crying, the baby's screaming in the docketot. And she's like, I need a, I haven't showered in four days and I'm covered in spit up and I'm covered in breast milk and my hair has literally has spit up in it. And I can't, um, and I was like, and I was like, I don't mean to like, I was like, we need to figure this out and ask for help because I also haven't showered in four days. Like I stink. <laughs> um, but even though we were paired up, we were in isolation because we felt like we were a burden, which I feel like a lot of people, when they talk about these things, they're like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a bur- I'm not going to burden them. Like, I'm not going to when in reality, you're going to bring, like you were saying it brings you like more joy to see somebody 
that you advised have find financial, maybe not freedom, but like health? Um, I don't know what financial freedom even looks well, like. Well, so it's this whole idea that like God uses your pains, whatever you, whatever's caused you more pain in life than other things have, or more you've experienced more pain in this one area than other people have. Typically, God turns that around and it becomes a passion mm-hmm. for you and it becomes something you care greatly about. Purpose to pain. He uses that, yeah. And so reading, you know, we have the story, the kids' storybook Bible, and we read Joseph like last night or the night before to my three-year-old. And at the end of the story, you know, Joseph's brothers come to Egypt and they buy food from him and they apologize for selling him into slavery. And he says, you know what? God meant it for good. Mm-hmm. And God used Joseph's time in jail and Joseph's pain to ultimately raise him to where he ended up. And that's we talked about that earlier. That's just the deal with success is that's the price to it. So with, with our, with, you know, if I experienced pain in that moment of just feeling incapacitated that I'd never be able to provide for a wife and I want to get engaged and I want to get married and, um, kind of that resolve of this is never going to happen again. Yeah. So when people come to me and they say, Hey, can you help? Just we how do we do this? How do we get out of debt? What should we be doing? Should I do this first or should I pay that off first? Yeah. It stirs up a fire in me. Because yeah. I, I haven't necessarily been in those same circumstances, but I can still feel hmm. what they felt. And, you know, what we haven't talked about yet is, you know, I wasn't looking to get into real estate. I was trying to be a pastor, and God basically closed every single door that there was in the universe to where the only thing left was real estate. And I got, hmm. truth be told, I got into real estate because I thought, you know what, this will be the easiest job to quit when my dream job comes along. <laughs> I fully intended on being there a very short amount of time and quitting. And what had proceeded before that was this season of not having a job. I mean, just stringing together part-time stuff for probably, you know, nine months. And then I got licensed, no, a year. And then I got licensed in real estate and I didn't sell anything in my first year. I had, I had stuff lined up, you know, in the first six weeks and it all terminated. And, and so then it really stoked that fire that I felt with Uncle Jim of like, you can't provide for your family. And what are you even doing here? And, you know, I'd had a ton of success before I got married with jobs. I was, I was really good at interviewing. I was good at getting jobs. And all of a sudden, all that just went out the window. Mm. And so there was this pain of like, I, I tried a nonprofit, Christian nonprofit really didn't go well. I ended up leaving and I, I felt slighted by them. And I came out of that and just felt like, okay, God has something really good. And he did, but it wasn't what I thought it was. And so time went by, time went by, time went, and I, we were running out of money. We were running out of money for like nine months, and okay, I got to do something. And my wife's working three part-time jobs to help support us, and okay, I'm going to do real estate, and it looks like things are going to go great. And then my one of my very first clients actually threatened to sue me. Like it was as bad as it could be, you know? <laughs> and and uh, and so for, for a full year, I did not make any money. And so it just was like this you know, I just, this crushing, you are, you're not, this is something bad that happened to you, but you are a failure. That's what defines you. Mm. You'll never be able to provide. I was talking to a really good buddy on the phone in the heat of it. And I thought, and I was just telling him in the midst of like not being able to provide, I was, I, I kind of screamed on the phone. and was like, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to be the kind of guy that can't provide for his wife. And in that moment, like I felt like time stood still and the Holy spirit kind of said, you see the problem here? Like mm. you're, you're never, the prov- you're never going to be, you're not the provider. You're never going to be the provider. Mm. God's the provider, you know, and this isn't all about, this isn't all about you. God provides and you get to be a part of that, but you, you know, and so it was this real, so there was a ton of like humility that had to happen through all that. Yeah. Dang. Huh. It's so, I, I never, you never told me that story. Um, and we've talked a lot about 
this area. I think that that, I mean, I've had a similar experience where I got told no to the internship and then was getting married three weeks later and was like, God, how am I supposed to provide for my wife and Holy Spirit, not audible, but like downloaded straight to my head of like, you're not going to, I am. And it's like, oh, okay. Like, like you speaking to the purpose of pain and like, um, it leaves me with like two questions that I want to, I want. I like the idea of like maybe leaving something for you to contemplate as you walk away from this. Not you, whoever's listening to this. Well, you who's listening to this, not Will, as I point at him across my office. Um, what is there? What is the thing in your life right now that is hurting a lot that might become more bearable if you put the perspective of at some point there will be purpose for this? Like, is there something in your life right now that seems unbearable that could be teeth gritted out if you say, mine was an eating disorder. I literally wanted to kill myself. I had like suicide idealization. It makes me tear as I talk about it. Idealization because I hated myself so much. And now it's my biggest passion. Like, if I would have known that when I was laying in my single, uh, single dorm room at Vanderbilt that literally praying that God wouldn't wake me up the next morning that three years later at an FCA conference, when I shared my testimony, eight high school kids would come up to me and be like, Oh, I didn't know boys could have eating disorders. It would have made it so much more bearable. Like just get through it. So like what in your life, like, is there something, maybe you're doing great right now and that doesn't apply to you, but like maybe it would change how you felt about a certain circumstance that happened a couple years ago. Um, and then the second is, um, what are you white knuckling? Um, like Will was saying, like, I'm not going to not provide for my wife. Um, and it took a humility of like surrendering that. Um, I had to surrender that. I don't provide for my wife. Shoot. We got Venmos one time when I was so, I was so unemployed that literally couldn't pay our rent. And someone literally Venmoed us enough to pay our rent. Um, that is humbling. <laughs> um, didn't ask for it. We woke up to it and we're like, Oh God, literally God, you are what? Um, and so like, what is that? Cause like it could be money. Um, I'm not, I mean, Will said earlier, like he reads a lot about money and he reads a lot about income and reads a lot about <laughs> at lunch earlier. He said, I love money and that's not a bad thing. Someone, uh, Coach Bransma, who was the week before this, or I'm releasing every two weeks, so two weeks ago, he said, money in the hand is not bad, money in the heart is bad. And so maybe you have money in your heart, not you, Will, but whoever this is, and that's something that you have to surrender. Of like, I'm not going to not, that's something for me. Um, I I have a poverty mindset because I grew up in a way that... um, I mean, we weren't hurting at all, but it wasn't like we were balling. Um, and so, and I knew things could go bad really fast, really quick. Those are both the same words. Um, but, uh, so now I'm like, oh, we don't need guacamole. Like guacamole (laughs) is a little too, like, we're going to save that two bucks in case, like maybe we'll need two bucks in a week, but not guacamole. Um, I'm talking a lot. So for the record, I think I said, I love studying money. Oh, okay. Because I think the Bible says 
not to love money. The love of money is the root of all kinds. You of did say that. Okay. <laughs> Will but, did not say that he loves you, money. I think you, everybody understood the idea. Yeah. No, I, uh, yes, I, I completely agree that, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think God causes these painful things that you were talking about that we go through. Right. And yeah. whatever, you know, people are listening, they're thinking about their job or something that happened when they were younger or their marriage or the fact that they're not married or whatever, a relationship. And I do think that God doesn't cause that he allows it, but I do think that he redeems it, you mm-hmm. know? And so, always, and so, yeah, when I come across somebody and I feel like they are feeling something that I felt, yeah, it stirs up a fire in you. And so I, you know, by the grace of God, we're in a different place today, but I can still feel all of those emotions that I felt that I was describing mm-hmm you know, right now I can feel them. And so what God uses that because it motivates you to, you know, ultimately to serve others. Mm-hmm. And that's the redeeming side of it. So it would be interesting for for us to kind of think on those two questions you asked. Yeah. I just, yeah, you're you're awesome. We're, we are, I'm going to wrap up here because we're at 58 minutes. I do, I just have one final little thing Um that we've talked, it, it, I mean, it honestly can summarize any situation, but it people hear the ver, the verse, um, God works all things together for the good of those who love them, and so often they plug love for the those of for the good of those who love Him. They put their name there and they say, "Oh, God works all the good, all things together for the good of Mitch, or for the good of Will," and that's just not how it goes. Um, it's for the good of those who love him. So the betterment of his people and in as a whole. And so like the most applicable thing, like it was not good for me to hate myself. It was not good for me to starve myself, but he'll work it together for the good of his people. And so that I'm able to share it later and be like, Hey, there were eight. I mean, at this point, like not to, like, dozens maybe a hundred people who have been like oh i didn't know i was allowed to feel that and like you talking about it gave me the freedom to like talk about it or like i think to like you it was not good that you were blindsided by the irs or they didn't really blind you were blindsided by the fact that the irs could be calling um but now you're able to speak into younger couples and say hey financial literacy is important and understanding is important and that's for the good of the people, not for the good of you. Now you're finding joy in it because you're it's being redeemed. I find joy when I um, when I get to talk with somebody and to see the light bulb in their eyes. Be like, I'm not the only one. Like that's that's right. joyful to me. Um, so share your testimonies, uh, share your stories, talk, share your dreams. I don't know. That has nothing to do with what we talked about today, but I am on this dream kick. We'll talk about it another time. Share your dreams because you never know who is listening and who has the, there are people out there with connections that you don't even know. And they can be like, Oh, you want to build a barn with, uh, to outfit for a worship ministry one day. That's crazy. My grandma has a barn and we were actually just getting ready to sell it. Maybe would you want it? Like, <laughs> I'm going to speak that. If you have a barn, I want one. So, okay. Anyways, um, until next time, love you guys. Peace. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the Over a Drink Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the Over a Drink Podcast and on Twitter at over underscore a underscore drink. Reach out and send me a message. I'd also like to encourage you to visit our website at theoveradrinkpodcast.com 
and sign up for our email newsletter. We're working on weaponizing testimonies here on this podcast, and that isn't exclusive to those who are on the podcast. I'd love for you to send me an email at overadrinkpodcast at gmail.com with a written version of your testimony. I'll put it together in a blog format and then resend it out to everybody on that email list. And in an instant, your testimony will become a weapon. You never know what God is teaching you in your story that may affect somebody else's story. Finally, I want to invite you to join me in supporting this project. There will be a link in the episode notes to a platform called Buy Me a Coffee that will allow you to partner financially with the Over a Drink podcast on a monthly or one-time basis to help move the mission forward of reconfiguring societal norms of what a man should be. Keep an eye out for our next episode. Peace.